Hello, this is Leela Viss, and welcome to Key Ideas. Through enlightening conversations and transparent reflections, this podcast empowers innovative piano teachers just like you to shift from a mindset of survival to one of revival. I'm so glad to be in your ears today. Here's a litmus test to determine whether you are a piano teacher. When you grab a red solo cup, are you thinking about A, taking a sip of a cool beverage from it, or B, are you thinking how you could use the cup to tap out a rhythm? (laughs) If your answer was B, then you know you're a piano teacher. If your answer was A and you are a piano teacher, then it's time for you to meet my guest. Most likely, you passed this litmus test because you've been snagged by the irresistible rhythm resources of my dear friend and colleague, Wendy Stevens. In fact, do you remember life before her rhythm manipulations and rhythm cup explorations? Have you lost count of how many of her original compositions and arrangements are in your music library? Do you find yourself forever grateful for Wendy's sage advice on studio policies? Yep, me too. At her site called ComposeCreate.com, Wendy Stevens has inspired thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of piano teachers to level up their studio policies, repertoire, and fun. In this episode, you will learn how and where it started. Wendy shares her inspiration for composing and the personal and professional obstacles she's overcome to be one of the most respected and beloved leaders and self-publishers in the piano teaching world today. Before we get started, here's more about Wendy. Wendy Stevens is a piano teacher, speaker, and composer specializing in unique piano teaching and rhythm curriculum and music kids love. She enjoys helping teachers flourish in a variety of ways, including composing music and resources, promoting best business practices, and helping teachers understand children better in order to teach more effectively. Wendy received her Bachelor of Music in Piano Pedagogy and Master's of Music in Theory and Composition from Wichita State University. She's a member of MTNA, KMTA, and ASCAP, and has served in various positions in her local association. She's a nationally certified teacher, and her business and teaching articles have been published in the AMT and Clavier Companion. Her workshops have been at NFMC, NCKP, and Music Teachers National Association conferences. Wendy's compositions are published with Hal Leonard, Will's Piano Music, and Compose Create. Hey everyone, this is Drew Collins. Just a quick reminder that Wendy is hosting webinars this week that feature amazing music kids love and updates to her extremely popular rhythm resources that you won't want to miss. Head to the show notes to find links to register. Now, here's Leela with Wendy Stevens. Hello, Wendy. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. Hey, Leela. It's really good to be with you. I'm excited to see you. Actually, it's been forever since we've actually seen each other and 
just via social media. So it's really nice just to it be is. here and talk to you and your, your listeners. So There's one more thank you that I want to make publicly. Years ago, you reached out and encouraged me with several invitations to write blog posts for you. You've been so gracious with me over the years, and your nudge and your shout-outs my way opened the door for me to build a blog and open a store mm-hmm. myself. So I am forever grateful <laughs> for your wisdom and your advice. And Aww. so it's extra special for you to join me on my podcast today. You really did <laughs> boost me in my own career. And I just remember you telling me, okay, Leela, if you start a store, you're going to be more motivated and you're going to get more creative. <laughs> and that's yeah. what happened. Yeah, but, there's um, momentum in it. it I'm, yes. so, I'm so glad that that's happened for you, Leela. I remember I was thinking about this the other day when we met. We met in Colorado Springs one time mm-hmm. and it was just early on in our friendship. And I remember talking about like, Leela, what do you want to do? And you, you want to write. And, you know, it was just fun. So it's really been great to see you um, just develop into the composer and arranger and blogger and just encouragement or encourager of teachers that you are. So it's exciting for me. So thank you, Wendy. I'm glad. Well, okay. There's so many directions that we could go. So we're going to start with jumping into how you completely rocked the teaching world with solo cups <laughs> and scaled your business to incredible heights. Where did this rhythm cups idea originate? Well, um, you know, Rhythm Menagerie had been out before Rhythm Cups. And, um, you know, as with anything that's new, and I was kind of new to the scene, it took a while, it takes a while for anything like that to start. And so Rhythm Menagerie had come out and, um, you know, it's the substantial, you know, comprehensive rhythm program. But I saw Anna Kendrick do her little cup routine and I thought, huh, this seems like it would be really fun for kids and groups. And so what if, you know, I take some of the ideas um, that I used in developing the curriculum of Rhythm Menagerie and actually just created the supplement. And um, so that's sort of how it just started. I saw her do it and I thought, huh, we should just take these concepts and um, the pedagogy that's behind Rhythm uh, Menagerie and put it into something that can be a nice supplement. And some teachers even just use Rhythm Cup Explorations and really love the effects that it has with their kids. But um, so yeah, it's been really fun fun to see um, it sort of just take off. (laughs) Yeah, and did you have any idea that it it would explode the way it did? (laughs) Well, yes and no. Like I knew it was going to be fun. I try to only put out things that I just are fairly confident that these are going to be a success. But the extent to which it it took off really has been just fun to watch and more than I think I could have dreamed about. Mm-hmm. So, so especially back then, I mean, back then the whole publishing world was completely different and it was just really, I was in this new space and it, nobody really knew how this new space was going to take off. So I think looking back at it, I, I don't think I ever would have dreamed that it would be <laughs> where it is today. So, <laughs> Well, and that segues so nicely <clears throat> to what I wanted to ask you next is what was your life before the cups? You know, I we always have appreciated your insightful posts, your activities to encourage creativity and your freebies, and of course your compositions and your sage studio policy advice. But uh, where did this desire to start a blog come from? It seems like you were waiting ahead of your time well I wasn't the first I remember actually uh, Natalie Wickham who has a different last name now but of Music Matters blog she Mm -hmm. actually started blogging before I did and I thought oh this is an interesting concept I had 
had a website before then and we were actually already selling um, like um, stinky socks way back then okay. and I was selling a listen to me um, it was an ear training resource way back then and then this concept of blogging just happened and so I thought well I'll just start writing the articles that the thoughts that I you know had out and so anyway so yeah I kind of jumped on early but I wasn't definitely wasn't one of the first um, or wasn't the first, and um, and then I, it's, it was a while before Rhythm Menagerie came onto the scene, um, and then of course Rhythm Cup Explorations happened after that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was more of a sort of before and after for me. It was a before and after of publishing, like before I was a published composer versus after I was a published composer. Like that, that sort of is a different that's where things started changing for me. Um, it reached a tipping point at some point in the last two or three years. Um, and I realized, you know, you can't, you can't be good um, or excellent at everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and not only can you not be excellent at everything, you really have to decide what your passion is. And, and in order to be really good at that passion, you're really gonna have to give to it 100%. And so transitioning from teaching to full-time composing um, has sort of been, I think probably another tipping point or another place where it just all kind of changed for me. Um, so probably pre-publishing, and post-publishing and then pre-full-time composer versus post-full-time composers. Sort of my two big points in my business. <laughs> yes. And stepping off of that teaching uh, piano world and just diving into composing and not just diving, but really uh, <laughs> you know, taking everything you have and going yeah. for it, that's a big deal. And it yeah. seems like it, it moved into a trademark that you now use is music kids love. So mm -hmm. tell us about that. Like, how did you come to that label? And why is that so important to you? Yeah, well, first, I would just say like the um, about the decision to move into full-time composing i think that was probably one of the most difficult decisions in my life it literally took me about a year and a half to make the decision <laughs> mm. because i just was so afraid of what i was losing and wasn't sure of what i was gaining and i just um i just couldn't i just couldn't make it like it was just hard to to um transition my students to other teachers and and so that was difficult, um, but it, I mean, it's been the best decision that I could have done just because it's, I've, I now have the margin and the space to really give my brain into creating Music Kids Love. And the whole Music Kids Love um, thing is uh, something I've been passionate about ever since um, I was probably late teens or early 20s. So when I was working on my uh, graduate degree in composition, um, one of the, or, or the thesis that you have to write is actually a composition. So you have to compose a substantial work for a large ensemble. And so I composed a concert band piece. And, um, and what I was passionate about then was trying to retain this childlike wonder um, and, and really, I felt like adults were missing it, like they were just walking by all of these amazing things happening in their lives and they just weren't noticing. And it really irritated me as a 20 year old. And I thought, I do not want that. <laughs> so I am going to do something about that. I'm going to figure out how I can retain this childlike wonder. And so anyway, the concert band piece that I wrote was called Pursuing the Wonder. And it has a bunch of pentatonic um, melodies in it that are harmonized by obviously more complex things. but. Um, um, that sort of childlike, um, that childlike 
um, atmosphere of it that's that's also got these layers and layers and layers of nuance that maybe you don't notice, um, but it's there anyway. That's sort of what was what the piece was about, and then that started me thinking, well, can't I take these really esoteric concepts that I've learned, you know, like 12 tone serialism and things like that in school. And can I somehow apply these to writing music for kids to where they're playing music that they love, but they're also getting this really substantial music. And then I got to thinking, well, you know, why start there? Why shouldn't I start with this place? Where are kids coming from what makes them tick you know what are they thinking what do they love and so I started um, just doing this you know researching and then I would invite my niece and my nephew over to play with my then infant son and they would play there with him for hours and I would ask them question after question after question what do you like do you like this better or this better if you had a choice between between playing this game or that game what would you choose and and it was just, why don't you like that game? Well, why don't you like when that happens to you? And so I was really trying to get into their own understanding of how their brain worked, which, you know, is a totally different level than understanding it at like the, you know, you know, the psychology sort of level. But at any rate, it, it got me to think about music from their perspective. Instead of thinking of it as a teacher thinks about it, oh, I want to teach my students this concept, so I'm looking for this piece. Well, a composer often thinks that way too. I want to write a piece about, you know, teaching a student to play staccatos, so I'm going to write this piece about this. And then the second thing they think about is, oh, what, what should I write about? Because you know, what will kids like? Well, I tried to flip-flop that and instead say, what will kids be passionate about when they first see the music, when they first see the title? Will they fall in love with that it, before they even play it and then actually make the pedagogy and the composition technique and things like that, that come from come from that space. So I'm trying to approach it from the child's perspective um, and then inform the music with the pedagogy perspective. So does that make any sense? I yes, don't know. I talked does. to you a long time about no, that. No, <laughs> and there's two things that come to mind. First of all, that you are a composition major. And mm -hmm. what I've heard in the past is that when you major in composition, sometimes your creativity gets ruined. Because <laughs> you're made to think outside the box so mm, much. I don't know if that's your experience or not. But what I'm hearing is that you have always invested in the human part of it. Yeah. And not just how creative can I be, but how I can mm -hmm. connect through my music. Yeah. And thank you for reminding me to think about that more often <laughs> because I am that way. Like, okay, this this looks like a fun piece. And then I'll have sure, these, sure. these amazing students and, you know, I don't know, she played one piece about a skeleton and um it was you know it had a messy closet and i and she just sure. went on and on about her closet and you know made so many connections <laughs> right and it just gave me pause like okay mm -hmm. this is what it means when kids connect with their music and they yeah. do they need to so it's thank so you fun. yeah it's so fun to see them connect like that's what it's all about <clears throat> and that's interesting though that you said that thing about um composition majors sometimes saying that it ruins their creativity no. like I found that maybe it maybe it would have done something similar if I hadn't 
taken the things that I knew and then funneled them into the direction that I wanted them to go. But honestly, I think the more education you have about techniques, the better your compositions are just going to be hands down. So it's your, to me, it's it's your choice whether or not you move into what I consider academic music. And I think that's maybe what some of those composers do mm-hmm. is they just decide, oh, well, the only thing that's that's really worth pursuing is academic music because it sounds complicated. It is complicated. And I remember thinking, can I take what I've learned um, with academic music and actually put it in this way and still feel like I'm giving the world wonderful things? And, and I, I was able to get to that place. And so the, the, the extra techniques, I think, only helped. Um, but I think, I think there is that point when you're a composition major of, of saying, do I want to move down the academic route, or do I want to do I want to go in a route that's going to connect with a different different kind of people? I don't know. So what I'm hearing is that you have a very sophisticated background in composing, and you put it in a sleeve. You you put hmm. it in. A, you manufactured it into a way that connects with people, and I think that's what makes your composition so successful because you have that background and you've been able to funnel it into something that we can all understand. Well, I hope so. Like, I, that's nice yeah. for you to say, because I, I mean, that's always been my goal that when when you're playing the music, you just feel like there's something there. And you may not put your finger on it, but you know there's something substantial there. And then if you peel it apart, you actually might begin to see it, but you don't have to, to appreciate it. So I just always want there to be layers of nuance in it. And I, I really appreciate you saying that because that's like a big compliment to me. Oh, so thank good. you. <laughs> good. Well, that's why we all appreciate your pieces and they sell. And uh, good thing you don't have to have an inventory because otherwise they'd always be out of stock, right? <laughs> They're <laughs> you know, all digital. That's correct? really nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did. We dabbled a little bit with a printed music and I still have some stuff that uh, Hal Leonard and um, Willis, Willis Piano Music um, does. And so we still sell those. But yeah, it's just there's just a lot that goes into printed music. So let's now that you've opened that Pandora box. Let's go there (laughs) next. The publishing world, because you had hinted that before and after cups was a big deal, but also Mm -hmm. before and after, or maybe what a metamorphosis of your publishing world uh, really did change the direction of your site, Compose Create. So, will you walk us through that story? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's definitely a story, and it's a long one, so I'm not going to give you all the details. Okay. Um, so, so here's the long and short of it. (laughs) This is why, this is why you see so many composers doing their own thing now. Um, a a lot of people don't realize that traditional publishing, um, I have a lot of respect for them in many areas, but I don't appreciate how um, much they pay their composers. I think it's unfair. And, um, (laughs) that's just me being really frank. Um, but uh, so composers only get 10% of the price of a piece of music. So for instance, if you pay $2.99 for my piece, um, The Right of Fall, I get 29 cents. Whoa, and do yay. you know? That's yeah, not even a you, cup of coffee. <laughs> I know. Do you know how many, do you know how many pieces I have to sell uh. in order for you to buy a cup of coffee? Like, Oh my god, much less to make a living. It's no wonder that composers can't make a living in the traditional yeah. publishing world. Imagine, okay, go ahead. You're going to oh, say well, something. I, okay, I was just going to ask, 
so really what you're paying that price tag you get 29 cents but then you get the prestige of being published by a big publishing house correct well i think that's what they think okay. the thing is like that's okay. why they think that they can continue to do it this way because mm-hmm. there's prestige and there is some prestige but that's going away <laughs> mm-hmm. because a lot of really good composers are doing their own thing so that's not going to be a, a selling point, I think, very much, um, very often in the future. The, the other thing I was just going to say, imagine for a moment that you've written 10 pieces, Leela, and you put those pieces in a book, and now the book sells for $7.99, mm-hmm. and guess what? You get $0.79 cents now for 10 pieces. <laughs> That's even worse, right? Can you uh, imagine? No. Well, it, okay, just as a side note, people will ask me when I say, I'll play an arrangement of mine at church or something, uh-huh. and I'll say, oh, that was mine. And they're like, oh, is it published? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. It it's is. At my site. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. and I think yeah. it. there's people equate it to if it's published, it has to be on this mm-hmm. big, broad platform. And it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be like yeah. that anymore. And, you know, 10 years ago, when you told people that was published and you had published it, they were yeah. like, oh, yeah, you yeah. Know, another <laughs> self-publisher, right? Yeah. But that's very much changing. And especially in the last year. I mean, you know what's oh. happening in the publishing oh. world now. Yeah. Like in the last year, especially, um, you know, a lot of the good composers are just trying to find their places either with other publishers or on their own. And I think the world, I mean, the world changed a lot in 10 years in terms of how just the general population looks at people who publish their own things. But then I think especially in the last year, it's really shifted, especially for the music um, publishing world. I think just more and more people will just, instead of saying, oh, are you with a big publisher? They'll just say, oh, is this a good piece of music? You know? Correct. (laughs) Yeah. And it seems like you've weathered that storm and powered through the publishing maze. And what's interesting is you are a composer, but you're also an entrepreneur. It really called on those other skill sets, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it did. And... Yeah, there's a lot that, you know, not everybody wants to do all of that. And mm-hmm. so if you don't have a desire to do all of that or don't have the bandwidth for it, it's not something I would encourage everyone to do. But I mean, you know, you're an entrepreneur, too. It's a lot of work. Oh, it is. <laughs> there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that you realize, oh, I'm not very good at this and I need some help or I need to learn it. And then you have to have time to learn it. And so it's not for everyone. But um but even even the people that are doing it are now, you know, publishing other people. So, you know, the opportunities are, are bigger to make more than 10%, um, even if you're not doing all the work. So, Well, and I hadn't really thought about, about this before, but how do you set yourself apart when there is so much noise out there, when there is there are yeah. so many opportunities to find self-published work? It right. really is... It's almost like we have to set up a criteria for ourselves. What am I looking mm-hmm. for? So yeah. when people come to composecreate.com, they're going to find music that kids love. And now I notice mm-hmm. that you have music that kids or that teens, teens love, love and music love. that adults mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. So how do you categorize that? How do you make sure that you have high quality music in your store? Well, um, I think the first question you ask about um, how do you differentiate yourself, I think part of that is just you start to become known for the quality of the things that you produce. And so if you're selling good music and mediocre music, I think after a while, um, I mean, I think people just know where they can go for top quality music. And that's the goal. Like, I, I truly only ever want to put out things that music kids love, music teens love, and music adults love. And that means that I write a lot of music that I don't publish. Um, yeah. 
So, so I've uh-huh. got a lot of things that I've written that I'm like, yeah, that's just not good enough. Yeah, that doesn't do it. <laughs> and I and I don't. I mean, like some people have asked me, why haven't you done subscriptions where I can, you know, pay monthly and you can just send me the new music that you have? And that's part of it. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to be pressured to always yeah. be putting out new content. And then you know how it is as a creator, Leela. Sometimes you just don't have good content, right? I mean, you're just like, this piece is not good. And so if you, if I had a subscription and I went and I had to have something to put out, then, then I would be putting out things that potentially, um, could not be as good. And maybe, maybe some people are just able to, um, do it and, and always produce good content, but maybe I'm too picky. Um, but anyway, I hope I, I, I feel like that's good for teachers, though, that I'm picky about what I put out because um, because that's just what I want to do. I only want to put out really good stuff. So, Well, yeah. I've always wondered how people do it under pressure because when I'm yeah. under pressure, I am not creative. Oh, I know. It's <laughs> like the worst, isn't it? I've, it said, I've said no to commissions um, several mm-hmm. times in the past because I'm just like, like, I don't know. I just don't want to feel pressured. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's bad, but um, it, yeah, there's something about it that if, if the muse isn't there, sometimes you can force it by by actually doing the work, like the muse comes after you start, mm-hmm. but then there's other times it doesn't, so. Okay, I have, here's a quick little question for you. Do ideas come from you or come to you? Ooh, what a good <laughs> question. Have you been asked that before? <laughs> well, I've been reading the book Big Magic, by yes. Elizabeth Martin. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, Gilbert. And she talks about that. And yeah. it has struck me, I feel like ideas come to me. Mm-hmm. They do not come from me. So it's interesting how you talked about you saw Anna Kendrick do the cup thing. Mm-hmm. And that idea spurred on, mm-hmm. or you saw that and it spurred on your rhythm cups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To me, that idea came to you, not to from me. you. Uh-huh. But I don't know. What, what do you think? You know, okay, so I'm thinking about it. I've never been asked this before, um, but um, I think it's both, honestly. I've read the book Big Magic, too, and so I totally, I totally agree with her that a lot of ideas come to you. As a matter of fact, there was an idea I had about four or five years ago that I, I had the idea, I thought it was brilliant, and I put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off, and guess what? Somebody else did it, Uh and so I'm like, whatever. Okay, (laughs) so I totally agree with that, but I don't think that's the only way it comes. As a matter of fact... I'm thinking specifically of like collections of music where I think I would like to write a collection of music. Um, for instance, um, Hal Leonard wanted me to write a collection of like late, mid to late intermediate pieces. And that was the only criteria. Like, yeah. And so that was not an idea that came to me because that was not an idea. That was an assignment, right? Right. So, um, so instead, um, I just started looking at the things I was passionate about And so um, it took a while, like before I realized it was kind of a duh moment. Oh my goodness, I'm reading this book about Abigail Adams and she's making me, like the book's making me cry because she's so, she's such a huge figure in American history and we don't know anything about her except through these biographies. Anyway, and that was sort of the, the place that 
I sort of came to where I started writing American portraits. And then I wrote this series of music about, not about composers, but about uh, figures in American history that are forgotten. And so I feel like that was Uh. something that came from me because it was already something that was in me, um, within me that I was passionate about. Um, So there's that. And then there's the whole, when you're at the piano and you're just trying to come up with any idea, and then I've had a lot of pieces where um, the piece comes, and maybe it's maybe it's like maybe it's like a fight, like Annie Dillard calls it, like alligator wrestling. Like I love that picture. <laughs> uh-huh. She said writing yeah. is like alligator wrestling. So sometimes I feel like I'm wrestling alligators at the piano, and um, I'm wrestling them, and not until the piece is almost done or until the piece is completely done do I realize what it's about. So, I mean, mm. what, do you, what do you, how do you classify that, right? That's not yeah. even either of mm. those. Mm. So, in, in that case, what often happens is I just come up with an idea that I like, um, and then the idea has to percolate for like weeks mm-hmm. and months, and then I add a little more to the idea, and then, and then eventually I realize, oh my goodness, I have a beautiful piece of music, and I don't know where it came from. And then I realize later it was actually influenced by something. I didn't even realize. For instance, the uh, the piece "Everything Made New." Um, mm-hmm. I realized later, after I had written it, that it was very much influenced by the Lord of the Rings um, and Frodo talking about. Um, he he uh, said uh, to Gandalf, he said something about, "Are things coming untrue? Is everything being made new?" That kind of thing, because it uh. talked about music coming at that moment and. Um, so, so I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's if it's even a good thing to classify it because then you get stuck with, oh, the idea hasn't come with me, come to me, or the idea yes. hasn't come from me. I don't know. It's 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 a magical process, it right? Is. It is magical, and I think what happens is when you synthesize ideas. Mm-hmm. that's when the magic happens for oh, me. Oh, you're right. You're so right. There's a study that I saw. It's uh, actually a video on YouTube, mm-hmm. which th- that's how I school myself on a lot of things. Yeah. But it talks about how there's an idea or where imagination, excuse me, where imagination comes from mm-hmm. is an idea to set ideas or mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. you already know, a common yeah. thing. Yeah. And then yeah. they connect in a new way. Yeah. And that's called mental synthesis. Yeah. And that's what imagination is. So a dolphin wearing a hat, two mm-hmm. normal things, mm-hmm. but you put them in a new mm-hmm. combination. Yeah. And don't you feel like there's that electric current that just mm-hmm. well, sends you right back to the piano? All of a sudden you have it or you're sitting there and it comes together. But it's, I do believe that Sometimes, ideas are floating yeah. around yeah. either yeah, in my head or around me. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. suddenly yeah. it comes together. But it yeah. is not, <laughs> it doesn't come when the alarm is set and no. you know, or anything. <laughs> never, just, no, never. No, <laughs> no. No, as a matter of fact, I remember talking with you about this um, at our Colorado Springs um, little um, where were we at? We were at Panera, I think. That's right. Anyway, yes. I remember telling you about um, um, my husband's definition of creativity. So 20 years ago, was it 20 years ago uh, when I was under my, un, or no, was I when I was working on my composition degree and I was having to come up with material. And I remember spending hours at the piano and sometimes just crying 
Mm-hmm. And um, my husband would come home and he would see me crying and he'd be like, what is wrong? <laughs> you know? And I just was talking about, oh my goodness, it's just like I can't come up with anything new. Everything's been done before. It's nothing. I can't come up with anything new. And he said, Wendy, creativity is not coming up with new ideas. There is nothing new under the sun. He said, creativity is recombining ideas that already exist into something that doesn't yet exist. Mm -hmm. And so he says, it's taking what you know in this context and taking what you know in this context and putting it together. And I think sometimes, like I've gotten stuck where we, we have to stay in the context of music, right? You know, I have to write music about something that feels musical and then putting those things together, you come up with something creative, but often it's from something completely different. Like for instance, the life of Abigail Adams or something where those things didn't really seem like they had anything to do with each other, but combining them um, is that little spark of something. And maybe that spark causes me to write something um, quickly, but often it's, it's again, like alligator wrestling. Like I it wish, is. I wish I could say that I had this, this thing where I ran to the piano and, and, and came out with a new piece of music, but I don't. And some <laughs> people have that occasionally, they, but that is a very yes, rare thing. Right. And exactly. when it happens, it is something to celebrate, but yes, uh, back, oh my, to, yes. yes back to your <laughs> husband's quote. I know I have used that in a number of yeah, my You have. Yeah. Before. And I know yes. you talked about it too. Yeah. But it's, then, it's the same thing. I know, I'm glad to know there's a TED talk about it now because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. I mean, all these things exist. We just have to recombine them into yeah. a new syntheses. Yeah. yeah. And of course, you and I are both fans of Austin Cleone's uh, still like an yes. artist and that yes. is what i base all of my composing on mm, is mm-hmm. i listen 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 i'm yep. like ooh, yep. i like that yeah. and then i go to the piano and i try and sound it out well of course mm-hmm. i'm not going to sound it out the same exact right. way and pretty soon it right. morphs into something completely different exactly but you know i'll, I'll fess up and that's what i do that's yeah. where my creativity comes from especially when i don't have anything you know sure but then well, I well yeah I, I find that easy too like even just taking a rhythm from a particular mm piece that you like like not even taking the melody start in a different key even but use the rhythm and and just start messing around with it and sometimes that can help you just get you going and then like you said at some point it morphs into its new thing and then it kind of takes off well sometimes it doesn't always take off it doesn't (laughs) and i think what we're talking about is boundaries and i'm a big huge fan Mm -hmm. of boundaries and that's Mm -hmm. what where my creativity and not um, and where I promote the creativity in my students with using boundaries. Mm-hmm. And it's because of mm-hmm. a talk that I had with my mom, who is also an artist. And yeah. uh, uh, there's a professor named Walter Nottingham who says this, uh-huh. if you spend, uh, let's see, if, if you don't have boundaries, then you spend 90% of your time thinking about what to do and 10% <laughs> of your time doing it. But if you have clearly set boundaries and you s- spend 10% of your time mm. thinking about what to do and 90% wow. of your time doing it. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting how you know when you want to do music that kids love, mm-hmm. you are going to go right to the information mm-hmm. that you have gathered about yeah. kids. And that's going to yeah. narrow down your choices right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that concept of boundaries. Like a lot of times I think about boundaries in terms of relationships <laughs> and and schedule and and things like that. But you're even just talking about like the parameters that you set for yourself when you sit down to write a piece. Yeah, I think that a blank piece of paper scares everyone, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just too much. And well, so when to- there's 88 keys, 
Yeah. Well, yeah. How do you decide which one to there's an lower infant, first? Well, I mean, given the element of time, there's an infinite number of possibilities for those 88 keys. I mean, that's just that's just completely overwhelming. <laughs> it is. Well, speaking of boundaries, you yeah. have really spoken up about boundaries in your own <laughs> life. And so that leads me to be asking you about how you are managing a very busy household mm. and a husband of course you have a very supportive husband <laughs> I so i don't think I he do. probably has to be managed but no <laughs> you, you have a lot of things going and then let's add in a pandemic uh-huh, and yeah. and That's and how hard. is how is life for wendy and how does she manage it all oh my goodness Lila. <laughs> um yeah my mind is suddenly blank because i have no <laughs> answers to this like seriously um I, you know, I, I really have no wonderful answers except to say that, um, you know, the whole parenting thing, the whole kid thing, like how do you how do you manage a, a full time now business, a full time you know t- job with having kids? Like I think one of the things that's helped me, and maybe this will help some teachers who are in different stages, but realizing there are stages in life um, has been helpful. Like when I was in the stage where my kids were really young and they weren't in school and I they were at my house all the time and I didn't use daycare and all that kind of thing, um, you know those kinds of of times I realized I, uh, my husband gave me good advice there then too he said um, you know because I kept complaining you know I only have five minutes here I only have ten minutes yeah. there I don't have these two blo- two hour blocks like you know you need time to compose you can't yes, just you sit down and and find the muse and he said well just use those five and 10 minute blocks to push something forward, to Mm. do a little editing, to do a little of this, a little of that, instead of thinking through how, oh, I only have five minutes or only have 10 minutes. I mean, you can easily burn 10 minutes by by bemoaning the fact that you only have 10 minutes, right? Uh (laughs) So that was probably the best advice that I got in managing my life as a mom and and composer and and teacher back when my kids were young. And now, you know, my kids are in school, but they they have field trips and they have all of these things. And now it's just a fit in the most important things and then let all the other little rocks. Is it Franklin Covey that gave that advice? You put in the rocks first, the big oh, rocks first. Yes, is yes. that him? I yeah, I'm not sure about that, but I I'd do have to look it up. Anyway, yes, yeah. So so you have a jar, and you put in the big rocks first, and then you put in all the small rocks around it. And I think too often we fill our jar with the small rocks, like we do. Like I have this. This is a big. You can see it. Um, I know yeah. people on the podcast can't see, yeah. but it's like a big task list, right? And so the easy thing to do is to do the small tasks because those can be done in 10, 15, 20 minutes. But the big rock, you know, for a composer or a piano teacher is, um, you know, sitting down to actually do the teaching or do the composing. And so I have to fit that in the schedule. And then I have to fit in the field trip, right? The field trip is priority. Um, and the party that my kid wants to go to, that's the priority today, you know? Mm-hmm. And then whatever can fit in around that, um, will be how it has to be and and I it it sounds so easy right like when you describe it that way but we know it's just it's a mental battle then right am I gonna let myself feel okay about today because I did this other thing Mm -hmm. for two hours and felt like I didn't get anything done Um, that's the battle sort of that I you know I deal with every day (laughs) well and I think you're the same or similar to me is 
I, relentless productivity. I, oh, I heard, yes. <laughs> I heard that phrase like, uh oh. I Uh-oh. think yeah. I think that could be me. Uh-huh. And I've noticed that, yes, I will write down every single task I need to do in a day. Yeah. So I have I thought I could manage my schedule on something digital. And now I realize no, I mm. need paper. I mm-hmm. need to write down every little item that I want to get done. And maybe it's not in the day, uh-huh. but if it if it moves over, trickles over into another day, it's okay. But yeah. the actual physical idea mm. of crossing it out yes. has made me feel so good. And so oh, if yeah. it is those little rocks, that's okay. Right. Yeah. But I still yeah. cross it out. So it makes me feel good. And then anything that I still have to do, I just circle it and I'm like, yeah. okay, I'll get there. Yeah. But I think it's really tough because when you're passionate about what you do, like we mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. then you know, it's t- it tears you apart because of course you're pas- passionate about your kids. Yeah. But going on a field trip, I gotta be honest I've never been crazy about field trips I was not a good room mom all that kind of stuff it just was not my mo so it really does take a lot to pull myself away right so right um yes you're right you do have to make them a priority because that's kind of why we had them in the first place right yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) and then and then you have to like making them priority is one thing and then dealing with that that mental angst of chiding yourself for not getting mm-hmm. enough done or just feeling bad because you didn't get the things done you wanted to get done. That's where that's where my battle is. Like I, I do a pretty good job of putting the rocks in in the right way, but feeling okay about that in the end. I'm still working on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's what we all need to hear. Uh, I'm yeah. kind of going on a side. Let's yeah. see. Let me talk about um What's the word I want? Mm. Rabbit trail. Rabbit trail. Let's go on a rabbit trail. Let's go on a rabbit trail. (laughs) Because I was just hearing news about Simone Biles and how she really spoke up about her Mm -hmm. mental health. Mm -hmm. And I was like, thank you for addressing the pressure that, of course, athletes are going to face, but also musicians face all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think being honest about how we feel That's one of the reasons why I want to talk about things like this on a podcast is that we are human beings before we are piano teachers or composers or whatever. And life is not always going to be easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like, I'm going to borrow a question, Leela, because you told me you might ask me about how the pandemic, Uh (laughs) about how the pandemic has affected me. And I'm just Mm going to, I'll just jump there because you're already there. Yeah. Like I'm so proud of Simone. And um, at first I had mixed feelings about it. Like the whole, um, well, you, you promised, you know, your team, you would do this. And now it feels like you're, I mean that, I mean, that's, that's, indicative of another issue in my own life, right? That I even felt that. But I'm so glad that she did that because like mental health is such a big deal. And it's not just a big deal for like professional athletes. It's a big deal for everyday people like us. And so like I was thinking about how has the pandemic affected me? And you know that I'm a big um, advocate for boundaries, just like in scheduling and and policy and mm-hmm. all of those things that I write about on my blog. And so I've been really good, even before the pandemic, about saying no to a lot of things because of boundaries. As a matter of fact, I pulled up the quote because um, I, I wanted to, to mention it, the Warren Buffett quote, the difference between successful people and really successful people is that the really successful mm-hmm. people say no to almost everything. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of adopted 
adopted that as do I want to be successful and I'm if I if I do I will, I'm going to have to say no to a lot of different things even if it seems like a good deal you're going to have to say no to a lot of things so you have room and space for these other things and so I sort of adopted that a couple of years before the pandemic and that was working really well for me I was I was saying no to things that I was sad about saying no to. You know, I hated saying no, but I knew it was the right thing because I would have margin then for other things. Now, um, I was also working on mental health uh, prior to that time. But then when the pandemic came, you know, it affected all of our mental health. So Mm -hmm. even if we were at a place where we were a little like needing help, we really needed help. And even if we didn't need help prior to then, we absolutely needed help at that point. So now at this point, I find myself not just asking how is what I say yes to or how is what I'm going to do affect my schedule or affect my career or affect my family, but now I'm asking how is saying yes to this going to affect my mental health? Mm-hmm. How is it going to make me feel emotionally to take on this new student? Mm-hmm. How is it going to make me feel emotionally and make me feel if I, you know, take on this commissioning job, or I say yes to the speaking presentation, like, am I going to feel resentful because I've given away more of my time? Am I going to feel, you know, am I going to feel hurried and not be able to be present? Those are the kinds of things I think that I'm really thinking about um, these days. And I just think we all need to we all need to pay just as much attention to our mental health as our physical health. But I feel like the mental, like, don't you think that like the physical problems and symptoms that we have, they present themselves and we know we need attention, right? We have a sore throat. We have, um, you know, eye pain or we, we break our wrists or something. You know, we know when we need to go to the doctor, but when we have when we have pressure mentally and emotionally, we're, we're just not feeling as confident about what we need and how we need to address it. And I think the, the, the signs are there. I think the symptoms are there. I think the, the cues, that's what I mean mm-hmm. to say, are there. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, the, maybe the pandemic has helped us see some of those cues, but I just think we need to pay attention to them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about it? <laughs> I agree because last year to me, 2020 was a year of survival. Mm-hmm. And so now how did we survive? What did we do? Yeah. What kind of effects did that have on yeah. our business, on our person? And really what it means is check checking in with self-compassion mm-hmm. and, and getting a grip on, okay, yes, yeah. I do matter and how I feel yeah. Yeah. Uh, is important right. and setting those boundaries and not teaching until all, all hours of the day right. and having to say no, no, I, I'm sorry, I can't teach you on Fridays because mm-hmm. I don't teach on Fridays, right. you know, and being okay yeah. with all of that. Um, and so this year, I kind of feel, t- even though things aren't looking so certain yeah. about a right. lot of th- the pandemic and COVID and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a year of revival. Mm. And so what mm-hmm. did a year of survival inform me? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but... Yeah all of the things that you said, I would underline and say, yes, check in with who I am and how I am and what do mm-hmm. I need mm-hmm. personally. 
Mm-hmm. And I hope that yeah. we can all be supportive mm-hmm. to each other. Another word that's come to my mind, especially after what our family has been through, is reciprocity mm-hmm. and exchanging things for mutual benefit yeah. is what that means. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm so glad that you and I can have this talk yeah. Yeah. publicly and share with each other how we've mm-hmm. both been yeah. struggling. We, it doesn't yeah. have to be detailed, but it can still right. be okay to say honestly that it has not been easy. Yeah. And no, you know, tears all. have been shed and Absolutely. there's been frustration <laughs> and there's many, been disappointment. Many tears. Yes. And I wanted to stomp my feet and oh, yeah. you know, all those kind of things. But yeah. um, what what do we learn from that and w- right. what can we take away from that? Yeah. I don't I don't know about you, but um when things started opening up, I don't know when they they open up for different people at different times, but when things started opening up late spring, early summer, like I found myself tempted to go back to the uh, saying yes to everything and and getting busy, like because we were so um, deprived of all of those things that saying yes to every little thing and saying yes to all the social engagements, even you know socially distance and things like that. But but I found myself very tempted to putting too much to put too much stuff into my life. So I'm having to step back again, even from a um, a place two or three months ago and say, wait a minute. Okay, yeah. there still is a limit, Wendy, um, to how many social engagements are good for you. You know, mm-hmm. it's not because you didn't have any last year doesn't mean you need to throw 10,000 of them as an introvert, especially into yes. your day oh. suddenly. So anyway, so I don't know, it's just all... It's all just a part of just paying attention and like you said, having self-compassion and just realizing that we all, we're all kind of broken and we all need help. I, I, a long time ago, um, I had a friend who became a therapist and she would often say, everybody needs therapy, Wendy. <laughs> and I thought that was a really self-serving thing to say okay. because she was yeah. a therapist, right? Okay. So yeah. she just wanted more business, right? But seriously, I think... I think everybody should go to a therapist because um, I just think we all need help processing things. We all have something, whether it's a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of anger or a little bit of resentment. It's just there's just people that can help. So I would just encourage everybody to 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 see about your mental health. <laughs> there you go. And yeah. I, my husband would say the same thing. I still yeah. have to sign up for some, but um, yeah, I, I do think that my uh, I find. Th- two activities therapeutic uh-huh. playing music yeah. creating at the piano and also writing mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know those two things have definitely yeah. helped me but and so i think that's part of it too is making mm-hmm. time making space for right. the things that bring you joy yes uh, you know yeah the big important. those be, have to become the big rocks right yes. you have to put those yes. in first mm-hmm. and take the time to do the things that bring you joy because that's what gives you helps you have the mental health yeah well and i couldn't believe i thought of this the other day i'm like Oh yeah, I kind of remember when I didn't have anything to do. I kind of liked that, you know. Yeah. Because <laughs> now, oh, we're back at church. Oh, I got to play yeah. every Sunday, and know. you know, like those Sunday mornings for a while where I didn't yeah. have to go anywhere. Yeah, like, yeah. Whoa, that was an amazing feeling. Yeah. So yes, getting that margin. I think maybe have you read Michael Hyatt? Is that why you use the word margin? Um, yeah, I've read a little bit of it. Nothing okay. recently, but okay. yeah, we've been talking about margin for a while. Maybe I did get the, it was a long time ago. There's I might have lot. gotten the word from him, but yeah, there's other there's, people that use it too, yeah, but finding those yeah. margins yeah. is so important. So, so Wendy, um, tell us what's coming up. <laughs> You've got some new things coming up. What are I they? I do. Oh my goodness. It's so, 
you know, one of the things like you were just saying, one of the things you were just saying about the things that give you joy and the things mm-hmm. that have given me energy in the pandemic is composing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, again, it's alligator alligator wrestling initially, but when I get them going, um, the actual process have, has given me a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I actually started working on composing. I mean, we're, we were a little bit ahead um, in the pandemic. And so I was really working on a lot of pieces. So we're, we're releasing a lot of these new pieces um, at our August 17th, there's an August 25th webinar. It's the same webinar we're doing it um, on two days live. And so those pieces are coming out. But what I'm really excited about, especially, is uh, rhythm things that are coming out. Speaking mm. of Rhythm Cup Explorations, um, to begin and end with the same thing. But nice. um, yeah, so um, teachers have told us in the past that they'd really like to have a way that parents can get access to the accompaniment tracks, especially for rhythm menagerie, because those are integral and manipulations. Those are integral to the curriculum now. Um, and they they wanted to get um, parents to be able to have access to it, mm-hmm. easy access, mm-hmm. um, easy to play, and also really affordable for parents. So without saying, what it is okay, um, yes. yeah so on august the 31st i think that's the right date it's a tuesday uh, we're going to have two webinars one at noon central time and one at 8 p.m central time where we're going to launch that and so that's pretty exciting we're going to have huge sales and things like that on that day so that's pretty exciting and then the other thing is we're finally coming out with rhythm cup exploration certificates oh, people nice. have asked those uh, about those for a while so um, we're excited about those too and then um, the other thing that I can't say for sure, I mean, I, I know what it is and yes. it's, it's already in the works and almost finished, but I'm not going to say exactly what it is, but there's another Rhythm Cup Explorations book that's coming out that has to do with the holidays, but is very different than our holiday Rhythm Cup Explorations book. So Whoa. it's very okay. exciting and we're going to release... Yeah, we're going to release that as soon as possible. Well, you got to keep yourself busy in the pandemic, right? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, we're very excited. Survive. Well, that is really exciting. Yeah. You always have something up your sleeve. Well. And, <laughs> and it is always fun to see what Wendy has come up with next. You know, what did her mental synthesis come up in 2020? <laughs> crazy 20 mind think yes, of. Right? I know, during the <laughs> pandemic. Right. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Okay, I have one last question okay. for you. Sure. Okay, and it's a little tricky, so I'm going to make sure that I read it correctly. Okay. Think back to mm-hmm. where you were and who you were 20 years ago. <laughs> what would yourself of 20 years ago think of who you are now? Okay, so I have to think about how old I was 20 years ago. <laughs> I know, and you don't have to tell We're us. We're not going to say. <laughs> no right, yes. way. No. no. Um, yeah. Okay, so 20 years ago, if I could see myself today, I would be amazed. Um, that, I don't That sounds weird and somehow it sounds a little boastful but you got you have to be honest because you know 20 years ago i probably i wouldn't imagine myself talking to wendy stevens on a podcast well you wouldn't have imagined that wendy stevens would be anything to talk (laughs) to right i mean like seriously like if i could i could never have imagined myself i I shouldn't say i could never have imagined myself i just would have been incredulous that not only was i a published composer but Mm. 
was actually making a living as a full-time composer. I mean, like, just, I would be like, no, you're ridiculous. And then what, what I really, what I really think would be amazed though, is how different I am, mm. like in so many ways. Um, like, especially, I don't, this might come as a surprise to a lot of your listeners, but um, I was a very, very shy child and teenager and um, very much an introvert, very much an introvert and uh, still am. And um, just the ability to talk to people and enjoy talking to people, even though I only, even though I can only handle a certain amount, right. mm-hmm. um, I just I love that, and I love the fact that I love people. And I don't think I would have, I, I don't think I would have imagined that, nor mm-hmm. would I have imagined that I could have had the confidence to do what I do now, like just to see that I've changed so much. Like I feel like what I want to say to people in their early 20s that feel shy or feel just not confident in themselves or even teachers in their 30s and 40s that are like, oh, I could never, 50s and 60s, I could never do, you know, X or or I just could never have that confidence. I think you don't ever feel confident when you're doing it. Mm. You get the confidence once you've started to do it and you realize, oh, I can do this. Um, Yeah. Like it's just, it's one of those things where you do it, even though you're scared to death, Mm -hmm. you know, you have that conversation, you pick up that phone, you, you do that first webinar, you do that first podcast, you create Uh that first thing, even though you're scared to death. And then you get a tiny bit of confidence from that and then you move on and you do another thing and you get more confidence and then over the years and it does take years but over the years you realize oh wow I can do this and I can do more like you know the confidence to realize to trust the process Mm. I can Mm -hmm. do this and I can do it again if I need to kind of thing I don't know um that's sort of how I, I I'm so happy you know about who I am but it I could never have dreamed it up. And even if you had, if I had looked back two years, you know, or looked ahead two years, I still wouldn't have seen that as being possible. But I think it just every year builds on itself. The confidence builds on itself. Um, so, yeah. How about you? Oh, how do you? Well, yeah, I don't know. Thank I you. I didn't for tell you I was going to ask you this. <laughs> no, um, I would feel the same way. I, I think I wanted to make a difference somehow Mm -hmm. i think that was kind of but i also saw everyone else around me much Uh better at a lot of things than i was sure so that's one of the demons that i think i've fought Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. throughout my life and uh being able to overcome those insecurities and like okay i'm gonna do this anyway yeah um has turned me into a person that well i will do it yeah and um you know, I'm a recovering classical pianist. I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> right. Those sure. two things still hang with me a lot. And I'm, yeah. I appreciate both of those in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah. Because then I can now shoot from the hip with somebody mm-hmm. else and say, you know what? You got actually my new motto for this mm-hmm. year. One of them is yeah. uh, stay out of your way. Ooh. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Well, it's just like we get in our way so many times. Oh, your own way. Stay out of your own yes, way. Yes. You know, mm. so I'm just like, stay out of the way. You know, mm-hmm. because we do mm-hmm. tend to get in our way. We have yeah. all of these thoughts. We have these narratives yeah. about, well, that's yes. the way I've always done it before. Yep. yep. And um, be, getting rid of those thoughts and, and yeah. being okay with, I'm going to try this. Yeah. And failing isn't the worst thing. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So I would say I've I've come a long way when it comes mm-hmm. to those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that it feels like both of us are giving somewhat of a teaching tip to go, which that's how I mm-hmm. like to end the mm-hmm. podcast, especially mm-hmm. to to young younger teachers, but also to yeah. anyone. If yeah. you are wanting to do something, do it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's there's worse things. Um, Right. Our choir director at church, he said, we'll finish a piece. And he said, well, no one fell over. <laughs> Success, yes, right? You know, and so I guess that's, you know, we have to lower the bar just a little bit. Yeah. maybe, And yeah. then that bar will get higher and higher the more yeah. we do it. Yeah. And I, I also want to piggyback on something you said, because you said something about um, also being confident and and comparing yourself like with everybody mm. else. It seemed like a lot of other people were doing it better. And I just... I don't want to leave anyone with the impression that I'm this 100% confident person. I still do that. Like, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Have I still got it? Right? You know, am I? can I still produce? You know what I mean? Like, oh, I just, yeah. and I, I do. I, I, I sometimes compare myself to other people, and um, it's still still a battle. I don't think any of us, if we were 100% confident, we'd be a narcissist and yeah and pompous right so (laughs) i don't think that's good it's good to have these checks and balances but anyway i just don't want anybody to think that oh she's this 100 percent confident person that has it all figured out absolutely not compared to where you were before (laughs) and uh, you know experience and years are going to change us yeah and i think that's one of the things that we can all take away from is that you know we learned a lot from last year yeah. And now, what are we going to do? How did that, how is that going to inform our choices for this year? Right. And I right. think we've all learned that being with people and uh, being able to be at a, the same piano, being able to sing mm-hmm. in the same room mm-hmm. is a gift. And yeah. so jump yeah. on anything that sounds good now because we don't know. <laughs> right. I know. What next year is going to hold. It's so true. So true. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for sharing, number one, your story and also your wisdom your life experience, you're, you're transparent so that we can, we, we can always see a light from you. You don't hide things. And we, we <laughs> greatly appreciate that. And we so much appreciate the music that you've given us and our students in our studio. And Aww. you've made our recitals much more fun. Thanks Aww, to those red solo cups and so many <laughs> other things. So I can't thank you enough for, for joining me today. Well, thanks so much for having me, Leela. It's been fun to talk and just be a little more, I don't know, tell more of my story in one setting. It's, um, it's, it's fun, and I hope it's encouraging to teachers. So thanks for having me, and um, I hope that teachers um, just feel encouraged by it. So Good. Well, thanks again for joining me. Take care. When I think of Wendy, I think of the word earnest. From our conversation, I think you can understand why that word suits her personality. She's honest and driven to offer high-quality music and resources because she recognizes the innovative piano and music teachers she serves. Her passion has definitely impacted the lives of piano teachers around the world. We are lucky to have her. Here's two more teaching tips to go. First of all, after you clap or cup your way through one of Wendy's rhythm resources, ask your students to improvise within a rhythm on the piano. Start with one pitch, then two, then three, then a whole five-finger pattern, or the pentatonic scale or a major scale. You call it. Research shows that improvising within rhythms 
boosts sight reading skills. And the other teaching tip, stay tuned for an upcoming episode with Charlene Jarvis, where we share titles of our favorite repertoire. Of course, you will hear some of Wendy's titles on our list. Head to the show notes at lelavis.com slash key ideas for links to Wendy's site and all her rhythm resources and her upcoming webinar. I'm Lee Levis. See you in the trenches. <laughs>